Hi, it's Dune here, your host and hype girl. And before we dive into today's episode, I want you to take a hot second to reflect. What's that passion, unique experience, or knowledge you have itching to be shared with the world? For me, it's always been about guiding you and cheerleading incredible women to start your businesses. So what's your thing? You see, everyone's got something they excel at, something they just can't stop talking about. And it turns out that one of the best ways to monetize those passions is through sharing that thing with the world as a digital course product. My life's work has been to chat with more than 600, 7, 8, and 9-figure e-commerce founders. And it's through those conversations that have led me to creating a foolproof playbook and my go-to guide for early-stage founders in the form of my first-ever digital program, e-commerce fundamentals. But it wouldn't have been possible without Thinkific. The beauty of this platform lies in its simplicity. Cute templates and a super easy to use editor. No coding headaches, no tech-induced stress, just pure focus on what matters most, the content. So if you've ever been curious about building a course to teach your passion, this is the way to do it. The genuine support from the Thinkific team turns it from this lonely, confusing headache into the most fulfilling and easy project. Go to the link in my show notes to get a free trial on me. Hey there, I'm recording this quick message to let you know that for the next few episodes, we'll be playing some of our favorite hits from the past year while we knuckle down on some very new, exciting things we have in the works. If you missed these the first time around, they are so good and packed with so many learnings. And if you love them, remember to share with us on social media because we love it when you do that. Enjoy! This is Angela Scott for Female Startup Club. Hey everyone, Dune here. Today's episode is a real goodie. I'm speaking to Angela Scott about her namesake brand from the office of Angela Scott. Founded a decade ago for women who mean business, the office of Angela Scott is more than just a luxury footwear brand. It represents the collective power of all women. A perfect trifecta, the office of Angela Scott is a woman-owned, woman-run, and woman-funded brand designed to pave the way for professional women one beautiful shoe at a time. But Angela's story isn't one of overnight success. She's been grinding away and she shares so openly and honestly that it was only two years ago that she felt a true inflection point where everything started to just click. This is an episode about that relentless pursuit and conviction about what you're doing in the world and why you're doing it. We speak about how she's funded the business and why it's important to ask for help and turn to the people around you and some of her key learnings from along the way, like the power of truly understanding your customer and putting them at the forefront of everything you do. If you're loving these episodes, I have a huge favor to ask you. Right now, we're working on how Female Startup Club can support you and what's next for us, and I would be so honored to have the chance to speak to the loyal listeners of the show and get to know you a little better. So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can email me directly on hello at femalestartupclub.com to find a time for us to chat. I would love to meet you. But let's get into this episode. This is Angela Scott for Female Startup Club. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Angela, hi, hello, and welcome to the Female Startup Club podcast. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. I really appreciate you having me. I'm so thrilled that you're here. I'm really excited to dig in and get to talking about how to start a footwear brand and, and what goes into it. I'd love to firstly kick off by getting you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your business. Sure, sure. My name is Angela Scott. I am the CEO and the designer for the office of Angela Scott. We are a women's luxury footwear brand for women who mean business. Uh, we produce Goodyear welted shoes, which are stitched rather than glued for women. And we do everything from Oxfords to boots to mid heels, sort of that, you know, pound the pavement kind of footwear. Mm, yes, they look so comfy and so chic. I love it. Where does this story start? What got you thinking about footwear? You know, it's funny because it wasn't always footwear. Like I loved fashion. I'm from, I would say it started probably when I was in my teens, really strong. But like, even when I was like 10, 11, I got really into fashion magazines. You know, I had all the subscriptions. I was really obsessed with like getting that monthly catalog or that magazine. And I had, you know, walls full of collages. And I really loved the sort of fantasy of it all because back in the 
you know, the time when I was a teenager, it was like Christy Turlington and like the the two twins and it was um, Linda Evangelista. And like, it was like the age of supermodels, right? It was this sort of, and it was really fantastical. And I was really just, I guess, invested in the beauty of sort of, I don't want to say make-believe, but like I knew that what I was seeing in fashion magazines was sort of like the ultimate. It was sort of the dream. It wasn't reality because fashion magazines then were a little less, I think now they're a little more real because you got Pinterest and you got Instagram and you got so many things that that visual presence is everywhere. Whereas before it was just in magazines. There was no internet. There was no phone. There was none of that. You know, so like when you got your magazine, it was very dreamy. It was very much like living in an alter reality. Totally. And I, w- I always wanted to be in fashion and I just didn't realize that it would end up being footwear. I think the footwear part of it became because those were my iconic statement pieces. Like as I got older, my shoes were my call out. Like if you knew me in any stage of my life, you knew me for my shoes. You knew me for my footwear. Yeah. So it was by chance that it ended up being footwear. In the beginning, I didn't know where it was going to land, but I definitely knew I wanted to get into fashion. Was there kind of like a moment that it clicked for you? You know, that light bulb went off where you're like, oh, hey, is it footwear? Or like, how did it, you know, evolve and come out? Yeah, it's super interesting because I definitely had a career and I dressed a certain way for that career as a woman. So like as a woman getting into like marketing and operations and product management, I was surrounded by a lot of men. And so like, I think that classic attire for women was really the like Louboutins and like the suit pant or the the skirt, but with it, like it was a very specific uniform to like mean business, right? Like you, you wore that outfit to really kind of be taken seriously. And I was working for a construction firm at the time. And then I ended up working for Ty Warner, but I was running on these project management sites in these like crazy Louboutin heels, like, you know, running behind these guys trying to keep up. And I think that reality of understanding that like my footwear meant something to who I was and it was getting in the way of who I could become really was the switch. It was like, I can't get anything done like this. It feels ridiculous. Like, yes, I love a great pair of high heels. I want to feel sexy. I want to feel polished when I go to a dinner, but like, do I really want to be working at the pace that I am in the footwear that I am? Because it's impossible. And then I'd be home and you we all know it where you're like rubbing your feet, (laughs) trying to get them back to life because they're so numb that like, you're just like, Oh my God, where are my toes? And I do that every night. And it was just like, what is that? So I think it clicked then when my footwear had to do with how I could be a better professional. I don't know how to like explain that, but it was like, I couldn't be the best version of myself because I couldn't function. I couldn't walk faster. I couldn't like keep up. Totally. I so get that. And I wasn't comfortable. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's, it's a real shocker to go to work all day and have to wear, you know, platforms or, or really super high stilettos. And then, you know, I mean, I just, I totally feel what you're saying. I've been there. <laughs> Every woman has been there. And you, and it's funny. Cause like you do it, you sacrifice your comfort and you're like, no, no, no. I look good though. But like, you're not comfortable. You, you're physically not comfortable, but you just work through it because it's like, but I physically look good. Right. Because there was an idea out there. And I think it's an idea that wasn't created by women, but an idea out there that to look good, you had to be in high heels. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I don't think that that's the truth. Totally. And also when you think about, you know, movies and TV shows, the media also, it's, it's telling you that this is what women wear. This is how you look professional. 
this is how you go about your work day. And in reality, you're like, damn, this is hard. <laughs> this yeah, is not what totally. I want to be doing. Totally. So how did you go about validating the idea to actually start this business? Were you kind of telling people around you that you were going to start a business in footwear? You know what? That's the funny thing is like, I tell people all the time, when you want to start something, just say it all the time. Just say it to everybody. I'm going to do this. I'm starting a business. I'm starting a footwear company. Look at this. I think the name's going to be this. Like I literally just kept saying the mantra. I was like, no, I'm building a footwear company. I'm going to be in fashion. It's going to be this. Their shoes are going to look like this. You know, I built out my storyboards. I built out a business plan. I built out everything that I felt like I needed. I mean, I look back at my business plan now and it's like a mood board. <laughs> and it's also, I had really high expectations for how much money I was going to make in the start. Like the goals were like first year, 10 million, you know? <laughs> hey, you got to aim high. I love that though. You do. But I think it was that it was like, you know, I believe in the secret and it's very much about once you plant that out there and you continually say something, you'll end up believing it and you'll end up doing it. You know, and I, I think that was a big part of it. So yeah, I was like a little, you know, boombox being like, I'm starting a brand. Love that. What year are we talking, by the way? I know you're so far into the journey, but to set the scene. It was 2009 or 10, I want to say that I was working for Neiman Marcus. And that is actually the catalyst. Like that is the true catalyst. So I went from working in construction and project management to estate management. And then I went and worked for Neiman Marcus because my husband moved to Dallas. I was flying back and forth for several years because I still was doing estate management here in Santa Barbara. And um, I just couldn't do the flight anymore. I mean, I did that for, I want to say almost a year and a half. And it just, you know, every weekend I'd fly to Dallas and see my husband who at the time was my boyfriend, but like every weekend I'd be flying back to Dallas and it just got tiring. And it also just felt like I wasn't uh, moving forward with what I wanted to do in life. And I got a job at Neiman Marcus in public relations. And I started meeting. And again, this is like where a podcast like yours is so uh, critical because I met designers that I thought were huge. And they would tell these stories of like, no, it's still just me and my business partner. And we've got two employees and we're doing it out of this little space that a friend of ours is letting us, you know, rent for nothing, you know, and I couldn't believe that. And I'm thinking, God, but you're at Neiman Marcus and you've got trunk shows all over the world. And they're like, yeah, but we're still, we're still putting it together. So I think that really gave me the courage to jump was I was there for a year and it really built up a, not credibility, but, um, a belief in the system. Like if they could do it, I could do it, you know? And, and some of these people, some of these designers didn't come from fashion backgrounds. And that also was encouraging because I don't come from a fashion background. So the idea of like, oh, you can't be in that industry because you didn't intern for Valentino and you didn't, you know, work for X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. You don't have the technical experience. Yeah. That disappeared. And it, kind of gave me this like blind confidence. Yeah. You're able to relate to these people and be like, oh, this is achievable. Yeah. I totally get that. If you were to tell someone the key steps to starting a footwear label now that you have the beauty of hindsight, what would those key steps be? A website. <laughs> like now, I mean, I would say get a website. Like the key steps are really, I think understanding your market because as is any good, like there's always too much of everything. There are too many footwear brands. There are too many sweater brands. There's too many options for coffee. There's like, you know, there's always too much of everything. 
But if you have a passion and you stick with what, why you're doing it, I think the why is really important. Like, why are you making shoes? Are you making shoes to make money? That wrong answer. Are you making shoes to provide other people like a certain category of women with something? Great. If you want to sell them to everybody, wrong answer. Like you have to really kind of know your path and don't get swayed. Because I think that's where it goes wrong is when people are like, I want to start a brand and then other influence comes in and it's like, um, but you have to sell this kind of shoe to the wholesale and, oh, but this retail brand wants this. And um, what about this one person that wrote a comment so they really hated the shoes and they thought you should do uh, stilettos, right? If you start listening to that noise and you don't stay on your path, forget it. Like That's where it crashes and burns. And, and that's where it can put you behind too is when you start listening to the noise, because there's always going to be noise. There are always going to be people who are like, ooh, hate your shoes. <laughs> yeah, you can't please everyone. No, and you just have to be like, that's cool. Oh, well, I love your style anyway. Like, I like that you got that other groove going, right? Love that. Love the other groove for you. So if we're thinking back to circa 2010, when you're getting started, what kind of capital did you need at that time to start a footwear brand? I had no capital. I had about, um, I'd say about $60,000 that I had saved. And I figured I kind of, you know, maybe I watched too many movies, but I felt like if I build it, they would come, you know, field of dreams. Like I just thought like, okay, I have this amount of money. I know that I can at least get samples made and I know how to hustle. And so my thought at the time was make the samples and then just start going door to door and have the cojones to get out there and just like not be afraid that when you walk in the door, somebody might look at you like, you're a designer, sure, we don't want any, right? Might shut the door in your face. And I think that with that 60,000, I did a hell of a lot of research to find a factory. And at first, it was just a sample house. So I was only able to find a sample house. And I found a sample house to make me samples. And um, I went and I spent the time and energy to actually, and I started in Italy. And I spent all the time and energy, went to Italy, spent that 60 grand basically on travel, development, materials, um, working through my designs and sketches. And listen, like I can't draw. I'll, I'll admit it. Like the, the girls always laugh. They're like, I used to get, I remember like Neiman Marcus and stuff. They'd be like, we'd love to do a personal appearance with you. You know, can you come sketch? And I'm like, mm. <laughs> you're like, nah, probably not. I'm like, if you want stick figures, like for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but like I can trace and then like I'm more conceptual, like I can build it out, but I'm very hands-on. Like I very much know exactly what I want in the pattern, but I have to work with the pattern maker in order to do it just because that I don't have that skill set. But I think that knowing at that time, I knew what type of shoes I wanted to make. I knew how I wanted them made. And I think that those two key things led me to find the factory, find, you know, the next step. And and once I had those samples, like that's all the money that I had. So I had enough money to pay for all the samples and basically enough money to sort of pay for all the travel to all of the luxury stores. And I went in person, like I flew to every single big city and hustled with my backpack and my roller with my suitcase. You know, I looked like a ventriloquist because I had these big rollers with like shoes in them. And I would go straight to their door and I would be like, Hey, I sell shoes. Do you want to buy any? So like what kind of stores? Oh, like Jeffries and uh, Neiman Marcus and Bergdorf's and um, Baby and Company and 
in Japan, Isitan, and like all of them, every little boutique. Um, I actually started with little boutiques so that the wholesale or the department stores were later. I didn't have the guts to go to the wholesale directly, but I knew since I worked at Neiman Marcus, like that door was adjacent because I knew who the buyers were. Um, but I actually went to them last. So I started with all of like the small, what I thought was like the heartbeat of fashion, the small boutiques. Cause they had, you know, and in 2012 or 11, I'd say like 11 is when I started hustling with the samples. That was when people really like the owners were in the stores every day. Right. You know, okay. I think retail stores were smaller and there was more, it was like more mom and pop and it was more curated and it was less, there was less pressure and, and intimidation from online. Right. Now boutiques have had to change because they've got the internet to deal with. Right. But then if you walked in the store, chances are you might meet the owner. And at that time, chances are the owner was the buyer. You know, so for me, it was just like, I'm going to go out there. And listen, I got this door slammed in my face so many times. We used to call it because I had a girlfriend of mine and we actually did this in um, Europe together as we went and did stores in Europe together. She's a shoe designer as well. And this is where I say, don't be afraid of competition. Like share your, your input because my girlfriend was a shoe designer and she lives in France and we have some similar silhouettes. We both do mid heels. We both do Oxford, but her and I were like, we're not competitive. Let's go. Let's support each other as women. If you get picked up, amazing. If I get picked up, amazing. If we both awesome. Right. And we traveled together, but that camaraderie made us feel like it was less scary. Mm, you're in it together. Essentially. You're not alone. We're in it together and we did it together. Yeah. Like I hate the idea of like competition in the way of secrets, right? Like I remember people telling me, don't show your designs because they'll steal it. And it's like, well, if they're going to steal it, that's the kind of karma that's going to follow them, right? I'm not going to live my life afraid of that. So yeah, I think again, with circling back to like startup capital, I really knew exactly where I wanted the money to go. And I think that's really important that if you save money and you're going to invest in starting a footwear brand, know where you want to go. Because if you don't have a lot of money, you have to be very specific about where you want to spend it. Absolutely. And I think that was really important for me to know that like, I know I could go out and try to get orders. And then if I get orders, I could try to get a factor and show them that I got the orders and maybe they could back me with the money. Right. So I at least had that understanding in the back of my head. Got it. And so earlier you said, you know, you wrote this business plan. You thought in the first year you could make $10 million all going crazy. Are you able to share what the reality of that first year was like, you know, knocking on doors? Oh, it was nothing. Uh, God, I want to like, I, I don't even know the dollars and cents now because it's probably so small. I mean, we're, we're basically a $10 million brand now, 10 years later. And so it was like, I mean, because I, in 2011, 12, I want to say we didn't have our website until 13 or 14. So like, I didn't have any internet sales coming in. So it was just wholesale. So it was just the orders that I was getting. And like, at first it was nothing. Like I had a little store that bought like 10 shoes and, you know, and I bought inventory because I didn't want to not have the product to sell. So I thought like, I'll have the product and then I'll sell off my inventory. You know, and that's kind of how I did it. It's like, you know, I just hoped that they liked the shoes that I bought, right? Because a lot of times that's not the case. Like the buyers will be like, I will like everything except the shoes you like. <laughs> and you're like, amazing. Amazing. Thanks. Yeah. But we, I mean, 
it was tiny. It was teeny tiny. If you imagine like a few couple pairs, like here or there, like, you know, it was very minuscule. And when did things start to kind of change and, you know, it started to snowball and pick up and feel like things were really moving for you? It's really interesting, that question, because in my first, I would say in 2012, I got big orders. Like I got into Neiman Marcus. I got into Saks. I got into Jeffries. I got into, I got into big stores all around. I got into several stores in Japan. Like I got into, like I started getting into all of these retailers, but it wasn't profitable, you know? And to be honest, like it felt like, oh my gosh, I've made it right. And you're shipping shoes and you're packing all the orders. It was just me at the time. I didn't have any employees. So I was designing, developing, packing, shipping, the orders, the accounting, all of it. It was just me. And it was insanity. And the Bibles that they give you of how you need to pack and ship your shoes to go to these department stores was insane. And if you didn't send it right, they charge you back. Like you get chart, you get deducts from like not shipping. Thank God, like, you know, did a good job, but like, it's one of those things where you think that the wheels are turning, right? And I was like, this is great. And I would get out there and I would go do these personal appearances at all these stores and I'd meet the customers, but then I'd just be standing there all alone. And the momentum of the visibility from the outside perspective, like looked like, oh my gosh, she's so successful. But from the inside, it was a lot of me traveling all over alone being at these department stores, sitting there for hours alone, waiting for somebody to like me, you know, it's like the little, you know, cow or kid just standing there being like, do you like me? You know, and it's, and it was super intimidating. It was super depressing to tell you the truth. So it like, it came at two, twofold where I started getting the visibility. I was super lucky to get picked up by these stores. I mean, like literally that first season, it was, um, Spring 2012, you know, I remember being in Jeffrey's and then I met Jeffrey and he introduced me to Vogue and Vogue interview, like, and it was this sort of, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm taking off. But then at the end of the day, I'd look and I'd be like, oh my God, how am I still not able to pay my bills? Like, how am I still not able to keep this thing going? And is it going to eat me alive? Like, am I just going to like, am I going to implode, you know? And so to be honest, it didn't really start clicking until two years ago. Wow. Okay. And is that because like the numbers just weren't right? It was because I think it was also because I was so disconnected because I launched it in a kind of a transitional time. So right before like 11, if you wanted to be really successful, you were in wholesale, you were in department stores and you were in boutiques and there was a lot of money in that industry and a lot of spending and it was really big and fabulous. But I think between 12 and on because of the internet, people started doing direct to consumer brands. There was this sort of shift. It was like things were moving online. Retail stores didn't have the power that they used to. So as a brand, I was kind of in this weird middle spot. I wasn't a direct to consumer brand. I was starting as a wholesale brand. I started my website. It was sort of this like odd space to be in. And I think that I didn't know who my customer was. I had no idea who she was. And I think when you don't know who they are, I knew who I wanted her to be, right? But I kept having different retailers tell me, oh, can you make this purple shoe? And would you do this shoe like in two inches higher? And nobody liked this shoe. And like, 
I kept hearing all that noise. And it's so funny because I heard all the time, you're so directional. And I have the striped shoe, the Mr. Smith. And everybody told me that shoe was terrible. And that shoe is our bestseller still to this day because I held on to it. I believed in it. I was like, no, I think this is unique. Like this is my signature. It's my first shoe. It's where I started. Like I don't want to get rid of it. And I think it didn't turn or click to be successful because I just felt like I was hearing so many different things and I was never hearing positivity. It was always negative. It was always like, you could do this better or we don't really like that. Or you'd show your collection and like somebody would come in and take pictures and then be like, thanks. And you're like, is that it? Like, oh man, soul destroying. Yeah. Not that like I needed like constant, you know, positive affirmation, but like, a, oh, this looks great. Or this collection really isn't for us, but I really appreciate you taking the time. Like just a conversation, but sometimes it would just be like, click, click, click. Bye. <laughs> See ya. Bye. And you're like, are they going to buy it? Are they not going to buy it? You know? So totally. it was really tough. It was really tough. So how did you go about figuring out who your customer was and stop kind of listening to the retailers? The internet. So our website, like as soon as our website started jamming, we started getting emails from customers like left and right. And I'm talking like full on letters. And I've never, I've never written a brand before in my life or said like, Hey, I wore your shoes at my graduation. I've never done that. And so when this communication started coming in, I was like, this is so cool. Like these women are so rad. And the fact that they're wanting to share it with me is even more amazing. They didn't know I was a small brand. They were just sharing because when time passed on, we had a consultant come in who basically interviewed some of our customers so we can find out more about who they are. Like, and we just call them and ask them several questions. And it was so funny because some of them were like, I don't know if Angela Scott is a made up person or what, but like, this is an amazing brand. Like they didn't think, they didn't know I existed for a little while. And, um, I think that it's just the website really changed the game because I had a direct connection to these women and I started understanding who they were. And they started telling me these stories of their career journeys. And that's when I was like, oh my God, we're this brand for women who mean business. Like they told me, like it wasn't me going, oh, this is a great marketing idea. I'm going to do this. Like, and it's funny because it resonated with my original reason for making the brand was because I wanted comfortable shoes to do business in. And the fact that they were telling me that back to me was so crazy because it was like, oh my God, it's meant to be like, this is real. Yeah. Brilliant. So cool. I love that for you. Yeah. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you say everything really kind of started to change around two years ago, what was that inflection point? What happened two years ago? You know, two years ago, I had my first million dollar month and it was kind of one of those, holy shit, is that real? Like, that's real? And I know in the scheme of fashion, you know, when you're talking about luxury, these brands do that in a week, right? But for me, it was beyond. I was so proud and I was so honored, you know, and I couldn't believe it. It was almost like that thing that are there really that many people who in one month bought our shoes? Like that's incredible. So I think that's what it was. It was, and it was also two years ago that my team went from two of us to 12 of us. So like we had this flip where I started hiring more team members and it became real because we were actually like a full team. I'd come to a full office. Madison is my right hand and she's been with me since I was in Dallas and she was my intern. And she went from an intern to a part-time employee to a full-time employee to I moved her to LA. She worked in our retail store to then I moved her to Santa Barbara. Like, and she's on maternity leave now and she comes back in two weeks. And I'm just so proud that her and I built this company along with my business partner. And that comes to the financial side of things. Got it. Wow. When we're talking about like marketing and doing that million dollar month when things, you know, you were like, holy shit, this is real. This is happening. What was driving that growth? Like, how do you do a million dollar month? You know, if I had that answer, I would do it every month. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's just one having product. So I think the product game is really interesting. Merchandising is always a lesson to learn because having the right amount of product at the right amount of time. You know, we do really well in the fall months because I'm more of a closed toe kind of girl. And like spring has always been like a little tricky for me as a designer because I design all the shoes. And like spring's always a little trickier because I'm not a sandal person. Like I'm a sandal person if I'm in Mexico and I'm on the beach or if I'm in Hawaii. But like in real life, like I'm not gonna, like I think it's kind of dirty wearing sandals like on the street, like in New York. It's like, ooh, like, I don't know. I have a thing about that. So like, so my brain doesn't think about footwear in terms of like summer. And so we tend to do, so, 
you know, obviously like we're loaded with inventory and with shoes in the fall half and that really supports our brand. So, but in the merchandising game, you do have to then go, okay, well, how do I get the months in spring to be just as good as the months in fall? And I think that that's always down to product, right? You know, having enough product, having enough product, understanding that there's a difference between designing what you love and what you'd wear and designing what you know your customers would wear. So that's always an interesting balance too, like being the CEO and being the designer. I have to look at it from both sides of my brain. I have to look at it as a financially responsible, like what are the numbers and what's the feedback from customer service about what our clients are really liking, what shoes they're returning, why they're returning them, what shoes they're looking to buy and designing for that and not just designing because I was inspired by this cool beach in Capri. Got it. You know? That's so true. That's so true. You've really got to, you've got to put that split multi hat on to be able to pull that off. Yeah. And to not um, underestimate the value of your customers. And I think a lot of people are always like, how do I get more? And I would say, how do you take care of the ones you have? Mm, How do you retain them? Because they're your marketers. They're your number one fans. They're the ones that are going to tell other people about you. And if you don't take care of them, what kind of brand are you? You know, you're just burning through people like that just doesn't, it doesn't feel good to me. And and I think that's why, like, you know, when we started going direct, it felt more successful because we were talking direct to them and we knew them, we understood them. Like, you know, we know, you know, our clients' dogs, like we do things where like, if their dog is sick, like I'm a real big pet person, but like, we'll send them a dog gift. Like we know our customers, they're like our extended family. And I think that's really important to value because a lot of brands just sort of burn and churn through people and are like, okay, we've got these, but we need more. And it's like, more isn't always better. Keep serving the people who already love you, who are already your true fans. Totally. Totally. Owning that relationship. For sure. You mentioned a moment ago, your business partner and the financial side of things. Can you go into a little bit more detail of who that person is and and how they've helped you build the business? Yeah. Um, I actually worked for her. So the funny thing is, is that, um, I worked for her for about six or seven years. She is, I don't want to say muse because that's more of a a fashion kind of like, you know, it's a mystical. She's, um, she's a mentor. When I worked for her, I really honed into my abilities of luxury and what it meant to, to not only understand luxury, but to understand you know, uh, accountability and respect. And I was an estate manager for her. And I just really understood that, like I worked on their construction projects. I worked on parties. There's so much that encompassed what I did for her that it really built my base for my work ethic. And when I moved to Dallas to be with my husband and started working for Neiman Marcus, um, I no longer, you know, worked for them, but I continued to work for her nonprofit organization. So we, we stayed in touch and we became really close friends. And when I started the brand, I lived in Dallas and I wanted to visit some stores in LA and I would stay at her house. And it was so funny, like her and her husband would be like, good luck, you know, have a good day. Send you off to school. My cases, you know. Don't forget your lunch. Totally. And, um, and she's only like seven years older than I am. So, <laughs> but it was really encouraging. And I remember one night I came home and I told her like, oh, I think I've got some orders like this store place and this store place. And she goes, well, how are you going to pay for those shoes? I'm like, I'm not sure. 
I haven't figured that out yet. And I didn't know yet. Like I didn't know yet. And I had applied for several like women business funds and small loans, small business loans. So I was in the process of doing it. I looked into factors and like that was kind of where I was going to rest my head against is the factor is somebody that like basically they charge you a fee, but they, if you have a receipt from like a department store that basically confirms an order in writing, they'll back it and then you pay them back. Like they'll pay it forward. They'll pay the invoice or the production, but then they'll take a percentage, you know, off of the top of what they end up putting in for. And then however long it takes for you to pay them back, the percentage goes up higher. (laughs) Got it. But I figured like that could be my way to do it is if I have enough, you know, but that would leave it up to me to make sure I get those big accounts, like the Neiman Marcus and things of that nature. Um, But I thought that I would do it that way. And she just looked at me and she's like, well, what about me? And it caught me off guard, but it was also like, God, you know, sometimes you never think about the people right in front of you that are your supporters and that are your, you know, that are there to back you. And she's like, I'm not going to give you money, but why don't I, you know, slowly, as you prove to me that you can do this, if you've got an invoice that needs to be paid or production, you present it to me and we'll start slow. So she actually didn't go, oh, here's money. It was more like I'd submit an invoice and she'd go, okay, that's approved. Like, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger as like things got bigger and bigger. But like, I think a lot of times in funding, we forget that there are communities of women and people that are there to back you. And don't be afraid to ask, you know, don't be afraid to ask. I didn't ask in that time. And so I'm super lucky and grateful that she actually offered um, because I don't know if I would have had the guts to do it. So like in hindsight, I would tell anybody starting a company, don't be shy to ask people for money. Don't be shy because, you know, women don't value their worth as much as men do. And they really need to start doing it and really start believing that like they're worth the money and to go out there and whether you've got something that you think is going to be successful or not, pretend like it is, you know, own it, own it and say, Hey, this is going to be really big and I'll do it. And you know, my situation wasn't a, oh, here's a million dollars, go run with it. It was like, I'm going to hold you accountable and we'll go through this process together. And if I see that you're, you know, you've got a proof of concept now, but if I see that like once they're in the stores, your shoes actually sell and we go from there, then I'll continue to help fund you. And that's how our relationship grew. And how does that look in terms of was it like, oh, okay, you'll fund these invoices that are being approved and then I'll give you like a small percentage of equity and over time that grows? Or is it like, oh, this is a loan and I'm going to pay you back? Or how did that work? So it was all a loan. So the entire amount that she invested was a loan. So none of it was capital contribution. It was purely a loan and that loan had an interest, but a very low interest of which you know I would pay over time. And um, which was also great too, in the sense of you own it a little bit more when you know that like it was twofold. It was one that like, there was no way a bank was going to give me anything because I didn't have anything worth them to give it to. So like a factor could get involved. I'd have to find other investment, but like banks are very tough to get money at a lower interest and to get them to believe an idea, especially like mine of a woman's footwear brand that's making these like women who mean business shoes. You know what I mean? Like proof of concept, the banks have to like believe in your idea. And if it's not something that's like, you know, a tech company that's going to blow up, the, you know, it's really hard to get that investment fund. So um, the way our relationship was, is that it was a loan and that I ran the company on the profit. So like, because we were in stores, there was money coming in, right? 
But the hardest part about footwear is the production. So the money that she loaned me basically paid for production. It paid for all of my costs of goods. So everything having to do with the footwear manufacturing, the boxes, the bags, the, you know, the shipping goods, the freight forwarder that had to import the duties, you know, everything having to do with my cost of goods is what the loan paid for. And then the rest of it was, and this is why it was so tough too, is because it was like, she's going to pay for that. But like, you have to make money to pay for anything else. So if you want to hire anybody, if you want like, so I didn't get extra funds to like run the company or to put into marketing or put into PR. I just got a loan that covered my expenses for the shoes. So like you can have the product, but like then you have to pay for all the other stuff. Wow, that's so interesting. And a really cool concept, I guess, to approach this, you know, differently without going out and looking for specific investors and yeah, going down that route of loans through a bank and all this kind of thing. It's a really interesting concept. I haven't had anyone share that on the show before. Well, and it was super dynamic because, um, you know, again, like it was a woman believing in another woman. And that I think was like super important is that my funding did come from a woman and she's like an angel investor, but like it was also, you have to prove yourself. I'm not just going to give you $10 million to go. And you're going to tell me that you're going to be a hundred million dollar business. And who knows what way would have been more successful? Totally. Where is the business today? You said earlier you are, you know, around a $10 million business. You're obviously kicking goals. What's the business like today? What's the future like? Well, it's super weird being that we're in this like COVID lockdown, but I do believe that there's like a renaissance upon us. I think that there's this movement happening and I'm really excited for it. And fashion has changed so dramatically during this last year. And I think it's because people's priorities are changing. I think for me, like work wardrobe and what the work environment looks like has totally changed. You know, the landscape is different. You know, I think that there's this really interesting women's movement where I'm hoping that not only businesses and the government and, you know, other individuals, but I think people are going to invest in women more and understand that in order for women to be future leaders, we need to have flexibility with what work schedules look like. I mean, they're mothers. They're, you know, we can be a mother and we can also be a CEO and we could kick ass at both if we're given the flexibility to work within those parameters. And I think that a lot of people, including male, you know, leaders got to see what it's like to be a parent at home with kids and also have to work too. So I think that the script has been, you know, flipped a little bit. And for our company, I think we really, you know, we really got a lot of support during COVID. And I think it's because I have like strong empathy for just people in general. And I think when COVID happened, I started to see what was happening to other individuals. I mean, like I was in tears every morning listening to, you know, the, my podcast, the New York Times and the daily every morning. And just like these heartbreaking stories of people going through such struggles and all the death and just like, and the medical industry suffering. And, and we have a huge customer that is in the medical industry. And so it just felt like with all of that happening, I really wanted to support them. And I was struggling as a company as well, like thinking, oh my God, am I going to keep my employees in check? And am I, can I keep them on board? And what PPP loan do I, you know, sign up for? But at the heart of it, I just started donating money. 
Like we donated to Girls Inc. in town because they were suffering a lot of families. You know, it's an after school program, but we also have to realize that these programs feed these children and that these parents depend on that. And so we supported them and then they changed their program to more or less support them through food and, and things of like that nature because they couldn't have the programs open. So we donated to them and then we ended up donating to Women in Need New York City, you know, and we donated to Loveland Foundation and there was just so many. And then, you know, Feed, Feed America, like I literally went online at Thanksgiving and like sent a $10,000 donation on my phone because I was just like, people are suffering. And I think that really taught us a lesson that when you support others, your community will support you. And I see that in the future. I see it being a mutually beneficial, you know, path in the future. And because we did that, like our community of women, dude, they stepped up for us. They showed up, they kept buying and they, they kept being here for us. And that is like invaluable. And I think it, it goes to show again, like that sort of karma, that full circle. Like if you raise somebody up, if you support others, it'll follow the lead, you know? And so I think the landscape for us as a brand is really building a bigger community of that and giving women the platform to share their stories. And, you know, we're not just about selling footwear, but I want to be about building a community for people. I think fashion industry can be very isolating and it could be very non-inclusive. And I think not even as a marketing term here is that I really want to give women like the, you know, the head of a sanitary department or a lead project manager in construction that's a woman or a teacher or just a marketing manager or, you know, an HR director, like these women are fantastic. And the fashion industry should recognize that. And that's what I want to do as a brand is I want to recognize these women and I want to share their stories. So like that for us, like we're starting to do these Instagram lives with all of our different clients, because I don't want to just sell them shoes. Like I want to let them talk. Like we had somebody who's the HR of Haggerty, which is like a vintage car insurance company. And I had her on. She's like, why are you having me on? I'm like, cause you're dope. Like you're amazing. Like tell us about yourself. And I think it'll encourage other young girls to think there's more than just like those glossy ideas of what a great job is. Like to be an HR manager is a fucking incredible thing, just as much as it is to be a designer. That's so true. And it sounds really, it's that case of you get what you give. Yeah, for sure. You're putting it out there and, and you're getting it back. I love that. Yeah. What is your top piece of advice for women who have a big idea and want to start their own business? Do it. <laughs> um, do it. But like I said, like when we kind of first started talking, it's like, talk about it, talk about it, share it with a lot of people, you know, discuss it, you know, build it, build a community around it, talk to other, you know, leaders that you believe in and don't be afraid to ask for help. I was afraid to ask for help in the beginning. And I think I did a lot on my own. And there's some funny stories attached to them for sure. <laughs> but like I had a bigger struggle than I think I needed. I think I could have asked for help more often. So if you have a big idea, ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask a dumb question because all questions are good questions. Like don't be afraid to be like, what's profit mean? Or what is a margin? Like, I don't know what a mar what's a good margin. You know, like, don't be afraid to ask dumb questions, especially in the beginning when you have an idea, because that's when you get all the best advice, because you're not threatening, you're not competition, you're just like somebody who's curious, you have an idea, like be curious, 
Totally. I really feel that, you know, even the other day I was listening to, um, it was a talk on Clubhouse from this guy, his name's Sam Parr, and he is the founder of The Hustle and The Hustle just got acquired by HubSpot for, you know, undisclosed, but probably circa $30 million. And, you know, he was having lots of people come up and ask questions on the, on the chat. And I kept having these questions and I kept not asking and I didn't, I wasn't pressing the button to put my hand up because I was like, maybe I'm going to sound stupid. And like, maybe these people, and I didn't, the whole conversation finished. It was like an hour long. And I came to my husband and I was like, I'm so disappointed in myself because I had so many questions and I didn't ask them because I was too afraid. And it's bizarre because this is what I do for a living, right? I ask women questions on the podcast that I don't know the answer to. And I was like, I I think there was one woman who actually spoke in that thing. It was like all these guys and their questions weren't amazing either. They were fine. They were just normal questions. Like some of them amazing, some of them normal, some of them, whatever. Like, and I came away and I was like, fuck, like I should really force myself to ask the dumb question. Even if I'm worried, if it's dumb, like just put it out there. Yeah. I totally feel that. It's so true. At least you tried. And I think that that's a, a big difference between men and women. Totally. Is they're not afraid. They've, they've got this blind confidence that's just like, meh, I don't care. Right. Yeah. Who cares what other people think? We're too sensitive and sensitivity is beauty. It's a beautiful thing. I think it's great. It's feminine. It's part of our lure and our intelligence. Right. But it also holds us back. And I think that that's where we just have to go, fuck it. Like I'm going to ask the dumb question. And if they look at me like it's a dumb question, meh, at least I tried. Absolutely. For sure. Hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. We send it out weekly covering female founder business news, insights and learnings in D2C, and interesting business resources. And if you're a founder building an e-commerce brand, you can join our private network of entrepreneurs called Hype Club at femalestartupclub.com forward slash Hype Club. We have guests from the show joining us for intimate Ask Me Anythings, expert workshops, and a group of totally amazing, like-minded women building the future of D2C brands. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show, and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that. Quince.com/pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. We send it out weekly covering female founder business news, insights and learnings in D2C, and interesting business resources. And if you're a founder building an e-commerce brand, you can join our private network of entrepreneurs called Hype Club at femalestartupclub.com forward slash hype club. We have guests from the show joining us for intimate Ask Me Anythings, expert workshops, and a group of totally amazing, like-minded women building the future of D2C brands. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show, and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that.